0: Good morning, everybody. My name's Dan. I'm one of the pastors here today, and I have the immense privilege of opening the Word of God up with you this morning as we spend our time in a time of hearing the Word taught to us. We'll be in the book of Daniel today as we begin a new series on prayer titled People Who Pray. I think many of us in this room would say that we are a praying people, or maybe that we want to be better at praying as a people. Uh, we know as Christians that prayer is an essential part, uh, an essential act that we engage in to know the Father, to communicate with the Father, to express dependence, to bring requests, to order our souls and minds around the reign of God. And so we know that prayer is an essential part. Yet I think for most of us, we would say that prayer is a part of our Christian disciplines that we maybe don't engage as regularly as we would like to, or maybe as well as we would hope to. And to be frank, I think if you're like me, if the health of your Christian lives were determined purely by your practice of prayer, many of our lives spiritually would be on life support. Charles Spurgeon says that if As well as you, I'm sorry, Charles Spurgeon says, As well as you could expect a plant to grow without air and water, so you would expect your heart to grow without prayer and faith. And so our series as we begin, we're beginning a four-week series titled People Who Pray, with the goal being that we would look in four different prayers throughout Scripture to take principles of prayer and apply them to our own prayer lives so that we might indeed be a people who pray well. Today we're looking at a familiar figure, figure in the Bible, his name is Daniel. And so it's fitting that Nick gave me Daniel to preach. I think that's how that went. And in our story today, we'll be looking at this figure of Daniel as he's in Babylon. Now, many of you know the story of Daniel. In five ninety-seven BC, Israel fell to King Nebuchadnezzar in the nation of Babylon. And the rulers of Babylon came and they took the best and brightest of Israel back to Babylon to train them up in that nation there. The nation of Israel was experiencing firsthand the judgment of God upon them for their wickedness. They were now a culture, a people in exile. And so Daniel finds himself as a young man in a pagan land, learning pagan cultures, surrounded by other gods, with religious practices that were not honoring to Yahweh. But in Daniel we see a man who is a man of devotion. Many of you are familiar with Daniel's devotion. You grew up in church and you know the stories that Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. Why was he thrown in the lion's den? Because he prayed. Because he was essentially framed by the rulers in Babylon to stop praying and he kept praying and so therefore he was thrown in the lion's den. And we know how that story ended up. Our text today, Daniel chapter 9 verses 1 through 19, we read another prayer of Daniel, maybe a lesser known prayer. And this time as Daniel prays, it's a prayer for himself and for the nation of Israel. And it's a prayer, I think, that focuses on an aspect of our own prayer lives that is often lacking. And that is the practice of confession. I think many of us enter into confession, maybe with a surface level of engagement, maybe filled with generalities. But you will see in our text today that to confess before God requires, I think, a practice of specificity. And so let's look at our text today. Let's read this together. It's a long text with a lot of names that are hard to pronounce. So just bear with me as we go through them. Daniel chapter 9 beginning in verse 1 and going through verse 19. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, there's one of those names, by descent Mede who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord uh, to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolutions, uh, desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and we have done wrong, we have acted wickedly, we have rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and your rules. To us, O oh Lord, belong open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. In the curse and oath... And your people are called by your name. Father, I pray even now as we consider the things that we have just read. That this word that you have given us would do your work in our hearts. Lord, that we would be honest about our condition before you, the holy God. And we would be honest about your work for sinful people. Lord, may we come with hearts that are open and eyes that are open and ears that are quick to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've already recounted an example of Daniel's devotion as he prayed three times a day and experienced the consequence of that. But Daniel here in chapter 9, beginning in verse 1 through 4, we see that he is still a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Daniel finds himself in a land of exile with Babylon. And now he finds himself in a land of exile with a different ruler, Darius, the Mede. Babylon has fallen to the Persians, and now there's a new kingdom in place, and Daniel still finds himself devoted to the God that he serves. He's so devoted that he starts his day by reading the books that are before him, specifically reading the prophet Jeremiah. And as he reads in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 11, which we can read ourselves, we would read there in Jeremiah 25, 11, the Lord pronouncing the term of the exile for the nation of Israel. And that term being 70 years. And so Daniel reads that in 70 years, this exile would end and they would be taken back to the land. That's an exciting time. For someone to read that as they're in exile, to hear that the exile is almost over. And I think you and I would have a response to that news. It might be something of excitement. It might be something of running around telling people, hey, it's about to end. We're about to go back to Israel. But here, if you look at the Bible, you see what Daniel's response is. And you would say that his response is slightly different than our response. His response found in verse 3, he turned his face to the Lord. And not only did he turn his face to the Lord, but he put on sackcloth and ashes and began to fast. He took a posture of mourning as he considered the fact that the Lord was about to end the exile and bring the people back to Israel. Why did Daniel mourn instead of celebrate? Well, I think the answer is given to us in verse 4 as we read that Daniel writes, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. I think Daniel, in the midst of this moment, recognized the nature and the quality of God and recognized that he and the nation of Israel were not holy. And there was a contrast felt in his heart as he stood and recognized the holy and faithful and covenant steadfast God and then looked at himself and the nation of Israel and recognized wickedness. And so he made confession. He began a confession before the holy God for himself and for the nation Israel. And so as we think about confessional prayer being Christians who confess our sins, I think the starting point that we need to start with is to realize that there is absolutely a need for our confession. And that confession is because we are wicked. When we think about praying prayers of confession, I wonder how many of you actually do confess your sins to the Lord on a regular basis. I did a straw poll this week and I went around and asked a bunch of Christians who I know have been Christians for some time how often they confess their sins to the Lord. And I think for some of them, they thought that I was going to start taking confession from them at that point. But all of them were honest enough to say to me, even as I said to them, we don't confess our sins in specificity to God very often. We don't sit down before the Holy God and list out our sins, our wickedness. But I would say to you that I think it's rather important, and the point of our sermon today will will be to help show you why I think it's important for us to do so. And we see an illustration here of Daniel in his prayer that two-thirds of his prayer is actually confession before he gets to petition, before he even asks God for anything. Look at the needs that Daniel confesses here before the Lord, the wickedness that he confesses, beginning in verse 5. It's quite a list. He says, we have sinned, we have done wrong, we have acted wickedly, We have rebelled, turned aside from the commandments of God. Verse 6 then, we have not listened to the prophets that God has sent. Verse 7, we have actively committed treachery to God, which means that you have tried to deceive God. Verse 8, we have sinned against you, God. Verse 9, we have rebelled against you. Verse 10, we have not obeyed God's voice, his laws, or his ways. Verse 11, all Israel has failed to keep God's law. Verse 14, we have not obeyed his voice. Verse 15, we have sinned and we have acted wickedly. That's quite a list. And when you read that list, you think, man, Israel is a hot mess. And you would be right to say that. But this list and this confession represents something even bigger than that. This list reflects that Israel is a wicked and evil nation because they have stood and lived and operated in opposition to the holy standard of the holy God. And here's what I mean by that. It wasn't other nations telling Israel that they needed to confess. The other nations would have said Israel's doing just fine. Their behavior is fine. Which leads me to a personal point of application, and I hope that you hear it as well. If you and if I do not feel the weight of our wicked tendencies and in turn feel and apply them to the need of confession before the holy God, it could be that we are defining our lives not by God's ways and his reign, but we are defining our lives by the culture around us. Confession is necessary for the Christian because it helps us to realize and remember the biblical standard that God has given us And it clarifies what it means to live as a child of God. And to actively and honestly be a confessional Christian in in our prayers serves to help us in a very fundamental way. We remember who God is and we acknowledge who we are. Sometimes we reverse that. We spend many times remembering who we are first and foremost and forgetting who God is. And so, this practice of confession in our lives and in Daniel's lives is evidenced really taking two forms. There's the personal side and there's the communal side. And if you look at the text here in front of us, you see that in verse 3, Daniel begins on the personal side, recognizing that this is his confession first and foremost. And we would think Daniel really doesn't need to confess, he's a pretty solid guy. But he does need to confess, and he begins the confession with his own personal confession. It is his confession first and foremost. And what Daniel recognizes is what all of us in this room recognize. We all have a common experience with God. We are instinctively rebellious against God. We hear his teachings, and we try to find ways out of it. We know his ways, and we try to recreate his ways to our benefit. All of us in this room have that same propensity. We're a bit like the little boy who was riding in the car with his mom long before there were car seats for children. Some of you remember those times. And you'd be riding in the front seat and this little boy was riding in the front seat standing up as his mom was driving. And some of you younger people think that's terrifying. That's how we grew up. And this little boy was standing up and his mom kept telling him, sit down, sit down, sit down. And he would sit down for a second and stand right back up. Finally, she put her hand on him and pushed him down into the seat and said, you have to stay seated. And he looked at her and he said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but inside I'm standing up. (laughs) That's a bit how we approach God and his holiness and his way for our lives. We instinctively rebel against it. And so we must indeed confess to our wickedness before God. And so there's a personal side to confession. There's also a communal side. When we gather together, we do so with a purpose in mind, an intent in mind. And Daniel does the same thing here in Daniel chapter 9. He confesses for the people, as the people. He uses language that is plural. You'll see beginning in verse 4, 5, and on. He uses language... We. He's putting himself with a group of people. And when God redeems a people, he redeems a people to an intent, and that is purity. And so this wicked people gathered together to confess their wickedness, which is what we should do even as we gather this day. A Dutch theologian says this about this point. He says, What distinguishes the church from the rest of the world is not that we are less wicked. But that by the grace of God, we have learned to see our wickedness for what it is and to confess our sins. The church is the only body on earth that confesses sins. And when the confession of sins dies out, the church is no longer the church. I think we see that in many of our churches today. There is a lack of awareness and confession of sins. There's a lack of understanding God's call upon people. And the church is the only gathering of people who confess their sinfulness before the holy God. If you go to a rotary meeting, you're not starting that meeting off by confessing sins. And we know our Senate doesn't start their meetings off by confessing sins either. The church is the only place where confessions of our sins before the holy God is our business. And so Daniel shows That in this prayer, that the proper position for the child of God in prayer is one of confession about our wickedness. And we need to confess because we are a wicked people who live in perpetual violation of God's holiness. And it's in that violation of God's holiness that Daniel confesses not only that Israel is wicked, but that God is just in judging Israel's wickedness. This is what happens when we confess our sins. It changes our posture towards God's action against wickedness. We realize that God is indeed just in his judgment. And we see this in verse 11 and verse 12 of chapter 9. Daniel says that all of Israel has sinned. And in verse 12, there's this wonderful phrase confirming who God is. He says that God has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and our rulers. God's character is proven true even as he judges sin. And so the question I ask as I read this text and as I engage it this week is, why is God's judgment against Israel justified? Well, the first thing that we can understand is that Israel's rejected God's law. If you know anything about Israel's trajectory in the Old Testament, they're called many names. One of the names is stiff-necked people. (laughs) They hear the things of God, but they stand up against it. That seems to be their pattern. And so they have rejected God's law directly, which has resulted in them being in this place of exile. As Daniel writes this in chapter 9, he's thinking and writing down and referencing a few places in the Old Testament that we should pay attention to. He's referencing the law given to Israel in Leviticus chapter 26, where God gives blessings and promised judgment And he's referencing Deuteronomy 28, where God gives blessings and promised judgment. Let's listen to the blessings that God promises if you obey in the Old Testament as he gives this to Israel. In Leviticus 26.3, here's the blessing. If you walk in my statutes and you observe my commandments and you do them, I will give you rains in their season and your land shall yield its increase and the trees shall always be fruitful. That sounds okay, right? Right? Here's the judgment. If you do not listen to me, and if you will not follow my law, if you reject my statutes, if your soul hates my rules, and you will not do my commandments, but you disobey them, I will break the covenant with you, or you will break the covenant with me. And then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease, and fever that consumes the eyes, and I will make your heart ache. And those who hate you shall rule over you. That sounds worse than the blessing. Now listen to the blessing promised in Deuteronomy. He says, God says to the nation of Israel, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth and all these blessings shall come upon you and overwhelm you. That sounds wonderful. To be overwhelmed by God's blessings, to be in a place of favor. Now here's the judgment. If you disobey, the Lord will bring you and your king whom you sent over you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. Babylon. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, and you shall become a horror, a proverb, and a byword among all the peoples where the Lord will lead you. The law of Moses very clearly laid out the way Israel should go in pleasing God and surrendering to him. And the reality is that the law, with its demands, presented very pleasant blessings for Israel. But Israel decided to disregard the commands of God and follow their own ways. That's how deep the wickedness of humanity goes. When faced with obvious blessing, We go the other direction. And so God is just in his judgment because Israel has rejected the law and God is also just because God is covenant keeping. He made this promise to them. He laid this law out before them. What he says he will do and this is what has happened. And so Daniel reflects upon Israel's wickedness and comes to the conclusion that God is just in his judgment, which is why in verses 7, 8, and 9, he contrasts Israel with God. And he says, To you, O Lord, belong righteousness, but to us open shame. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, but to you, O Lord, our God, belong mercy and forgiveness. And if you're like me, if you're inquisitive at all, Verse 13 should stand out to us. Because I think Daniel writes this in verse 13 with like a a headache of sorts. Verse 13 says, As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. In short, Daniel says, We've just experienced the judgment of God, but we still don't repent. What is happening? Despite the judgment of God, despite the clear consequence of disobedience and the nature of God being revealed in this punishment, Israel refuses to repent. And I think there are many of us in this room who know the promises of God to be true, yet we stand ourselves up against them. And the question that I ask myself, and I had to live with this the whole week, so now you have to live with it for the next 10 minutes. Why don't we confess Why are we so resistant to honestly go before God with our confession? And I know there are probably many, many reasons, but let me tell you three that I kind of landed on that maybe are a summary of all of them. I think the first is that the holiness of God is lost on us. We know of God being holy, but we do not know God as holy. And I think the language in Christendom today reflects a casual approach to God. We call him pal, we call him the man upstairs, we call him other names that do not reflect who the God of the universe actually is. In the Bible, the holiness of God is represented as God being a consuming fire, a presence that no man can look upon, a purity that is blinding to the sinful soul of men. His holiness has caused the earth to shake, mountains to fall, men to run in terror, and the wicked mouths to be silent. This is the holy God, and for us to call him pal doesn't line up. And when we fail to see God as a holy God, then our confessions tend to grow silent. Secondly, I think we minimize sin, and that's why we don't confess. This does indeed flow out of the holiness of God. Our understanding of sin is only proper when we properly understand the holiness of God. Without a holy God, sin is ill-defined at best, or disregarded altogether at worst. Sin becomes a sliding scale right, that you judge as confession worthy or not. Well, I'm not that bad, so I don't really need to confess this or whatever. We become the arbiters of truth. The problem with that is that soon that sliding scale moves more and more towards our own justification until ultimately, and we actually have seen this in many, many lives, until ultimately there really is no such thing as sin any longer. Thirdly, I think we don't confess because we really don't believe that the reign of God is better than our own. <laughs> In the simplest level, I think we don't really think that God is, God's way is better than what we can do for ourselves. We're too fascinated with the things of this world and we place our energies into them. We're like Israel and when given the wonderful promises and blessings of God, we turn our back on them and run towards our own desires and the calamity of self. <laughs> C.S. Lewis writes a little bit about this in a sermon that he gave called The Weight of Glory. He says, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the reward's promised in the scriptures, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child, who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. I think when it comes down to it, we don't confess because we don't think God's way is better. And even as Daniel prays a prayer of confession, he sees, feels, and pronounces the immense, resistant, rebellious wickedness of God's people. And so he comes to a point in verse 18 where he recognizes that as he confesses the wickedness and as he confesses that God is just in his judgment, he realizes there's only one hope for the wicked people. And look at verse 18 in Daniel 9. Daniel says, For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. You see, when we confess it makes clear within us that the only hope we have is the mercy of God. When we fail to actively confess our sins before the Lord, Psalm 32 says we waste away internally. Some of you feel that. The weight of your sin is upon you. And there's going to be one of two things that you respond with with regards to your sin. Maybe you'll feel a hopeless sense of condemnation or you'll feel a sense of self-righteousness. But when we actively practice confession in our prayers, it is then that we know in our hearts the encouraging news that the mercy of God is the only way that the rebellious sinner can experience forgiveness. Mercy is God's character, and it's his favor to those who are in the midst of distress. And this is what Daniel's pleading for in his prayer, is the mercy of God. And so he begins in verse 15 to work through why God can provide mercy as he prays for it. And so look at verse 15. And real quick, we're going to pop through these. He says, God, you have delivered your people out of Egypt in verse 15 and made a name for yourself. Verse 16, God, you have delivered your, please deliver your anger and wrath according to your righteous acts. Verse 17, for your own sake, hear us. You see, Daniel's plea for mercy and our own pleas for mercy rest on God's character and his name, not our own worthiness. This is what Daniel is pushing to as he comes to the conclusion of this prayer. The righteousness of God is the basis for God's judgment and it is that very same righteousness that will be our deliverance. And it's because of God's righteousness and his mercy that Daniel can even make a plea for it. Why? Well, remember, the very first verse we read as we thought about why Daniel responded with mourning and confession, Daniel 9.4, Daniel recognizes that God's character is that he keeps covenant and he is steadfast in love. And so Daniel can make a confession to God because God's character is one in which he keeps covenant and he is steadfast in love. What is the covenant that he keeps and that Daniel's remembering? This is so important for us to read. A few verses for us to understand. of Exodus 34, 6. As God establishes his covenant with Moses, God descends before Moses. Had to be a terrifying moment for him. And the Lord proclaimed a really interesting phrase to Moses. The Lord proclaimed in the name of the Lord, and he proclaimed. So the Lord is describing himself to Moses. He said, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. This is God proclaiming his covenant to Moses. And then in Second Chronicles 39, for the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if you return to him. And so his covenant is this where there is sin, he will forgive you when there is a confession and turning to him because he is merciful to the sinner. And his steadfast love though is how the covenant finds operation. His steadfast love is the rooted in his character of covenant keeping And some passages that exemplify this. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. We read, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Let that just highlight for you, right? His mercies never come to an end. You can never out sin his mercy. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It's not just a song we sing. (laughs) It's the reality of God's steadfast love to us. In 1 John 1, 9, here we go, his steadfast love. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you might be saved. You will be saved. God's covenant is proven true through his action on the cross for your behalf. That if you confess with your mouth that you are a sinner, his mercies are new for you every single day. And so Daniel's only hope in the midst of his plea for mercy, in the midst of his plea for deliverance, is that God is covenant keeping and his steadfast love is forever. And so too, our only hope is that. Our only hope is God's merciful character and forgiving work through Jesus Christ, our deliverer. I wonder, and hear me, will you confess? Maybe some of you in this room have been hanging on to your wickedness. You've been hanging on to your sinfulness. You've been hoping that somehow it'll finally turn around and you'll get things sorted out. A wicked heart cannot bring about deliverance from the calamity of wickedness. But Jesus Christ can. Will you this day confess your sins and rest upon the certainty of the promise that as you confess your sins, you will be forgiven from them and give a new life? This is the invitation of this sermon. And for many of us in this room, we're Christians. Why should we keep confessing? Why is it that we should make a practice of confessional praying before God? Why is it in the mornings we should give God the list of our sins? They're already forgiven, so why should we do it? Well, to put it simply, here's why. Because for the Christian, confession of sins to God is not guilt-inducing. It's gospel-proclaiming. As you confess your sins to the Lord, the gospel is reinforced in your heart. You recognize your need for a savior and you proclaim that. And so friends, I pray that as we look at this prayer of Daniel, we will recognize that we should be a people who confess regularly, specifically, actively knowing full well that God is covenant keeping and his steadfast love is new every morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this text in Daniel, and I pray, Lord, that we would take it deep within our hearts and that we would recognize that indeed we are a sinful people. That very list that we read in Daniel could be applied to us. We have turned away. We have rebelled against your word. We have sought lesser things. We have attempted to deceive you, O holy God. And so we recognize that you are just in your judgment against sin. And Lord, while we are in our sin, we experience your judgment. And so we come before you as a people that are broken by our sin and we recognize that it is through your mercy and your mercy alone that you redeem us. And we thank you that this redemption is sure and certain and that we are held by your faithfulness, not our own ability. And so Lord, thank you for this time in your word. Lord, may this lessons that we take from it be applied to our heart. And Lord, may we never be the same because we have been transformed by you, our saving God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.